This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. I want you to read this first. It's up on the screen, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Let's read it together. Read it aloud with me. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Let me start off with that verse before we get into the story in Acts chapter 8 today. There's a common misconception amongst church-going people, and I believe that the misconception is due primarily to the failure of churches throughout the centuries, for almost 2,000 years, I would say, to stick with the gospel of Christ and to the desire, it also is attributed to the desire of fallen people, and that would be people like you and me, the desire of fallen people to will everyone and anyone into heaven. And the misconception is that all that is necessary to possess eternal life is to believe in God. Now, if that surprises you that I say that, I want you to stick with me this morning. The Bible's very clear that believing that God exists does not provide salvation. I talk to a lot of people who tell me they believe in God or they believe that he exists as though that is what God requires of us. But I believe that's merely the first step toward knowing God. Believing that he's there and knowing him are not the same thing. You can't know him, for example, if you are an atheist who denies his existence. But acknowledging his existence does not mean that you know him either, does it? Others will say they think they'll be in heaven because they have faith. And that verse just talked about how without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, I have faith, and that's great. Faith is great. Faith is necessary. But what provides salvation is not faith, but having the right object of your faith. It's who your faith is in is what brings salvation. Saving faith, the Bible says, must be in Christ, who is alone able to forgive us of our sin and reconcile us with God. So no one can have a relationship with God unless they acknowledge his existence. There seems also, however, to be a second step before salvation could be obtained. And that is, you must acknowledge he exists, but then you need to seek him. But salvation is not given simply for seeking to know God. The Bible's very clear, again, about how to get to heaven, how to be forgiven of sin, how to be reconciled with God, and it's very clear. We need to understand this. If you're a guest today, here's what we believe because we know it comes from Scripture. The Bible's very, very crystal clear that there are not many ways to get to God. There is only one way. Jesus said, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now you think about that for a second. If there was another way to get to God, think, you know, you're thinking people. You get up and you come to church at nine o'clock because you're thinking about the rest of your day that you have free. 
Think with me for a second. If it's possible that there is another way to get to God, why in heaven's name would he send his son to die on a cross? If there's another way, let's tell everybody that way. Why allow my son to die for other people's sins? After telling his disciples that he was going to his father's house there in John chapter 14, Thomas, there in that upper room, said, well, wait a second, you're going to your father's house. I'm a little bit confused. I've never been there. No GPS, you know, no map. I don't know where your father is. Where is your father's house? And that was the, the first time GPS was ever given in the Bible because Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He's the one and only way. Peter proclaimed to the Sanhedrin, we've read this in our study here in Acts, He told them that Jesus, whom he said, whom you crucified, was God's Messiah. And Peter's words in Acts 4.12 were very simply this. And there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven. That includes everybody that's ever lived. God's given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The Apostle John would later write, 1 John 5, 13, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote that toward the end of his life. John lived to be an old man. And John, maybe he knew the fate of the other guys, the other 11 apostles. I'm not sure that he knew all of their fates because they spread out over the world. But 11 of Jesus' apostles would die for that belief that Jesus is the only way. 11 of them would be executed for that belief. And if they they would have known, even suspected that maybe there is another way, if they would have known that maybe he's not the only way, would, would they have died if they ever believed that he was not the real thing? No. Look with me at verses 26 through 28 here in in Acts chapter 8. We've been with Philip. Philip's been to Samaria. He goes to Samaria. He preaches the gospel, and the the place is turned upside down. People are coming to Christ left and right. It's just breaking out all over the place in Samaria. They're baptizing them and so forth. And then in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Get up. I want you to get up from where you are in Samaria. And go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. And so he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, Pastor Steve Wise will be at the Welcome Center after church, and he'd be glad to explain that to you. You're welcome, Steve. There's an Ethiopian man, an African, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace was not her name, by the way. Candace was kind of a a title name. She was the queen mother. The queen mother was given the responsibility, really, of administering the governmental affairs of Ethiopia because the son was considered to be 
essentially spawned by God and taking care of government things, human things, was below him, was how they looked upon their king. So the queen mother really ran the country. Candace, who was in charge of this Ethiopian, this uh, eunuch, was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. We met Philip last week, saw that he was a Christian man who was sensitive to God's leading and purpose for his life. He went to Samaria, and in doing so, we spoke about last week how he stepped over cultural boundaries to share the good news of Christ with people who were not like him, and now we find him continuing to be open to God's leading him in a new direction. Go south. Go to the desert. God sent an angel. The word angel means a messenger from God. God sent an angel to give him his next assignment. He was to leave Samaria, where crowds are coming to faith in Christ, where he's being used in a powerful way, and he was to go to this desert road, literally in the middle of nowhere. By the way, we don't think that because this happened to Philip that you and I need an angel to come and give us our next assignment. That's never happened to me that I'm aware of. And it's never happened to anyone that I personally know. What do we need to do our next assignment? We simply need to be open and prayerful and aware that God's working and leading in our lives. Jot this down in your notes if you're taking them this morning. God's leading and prompting might not always make sense to us. Philip was where it was happening in Samaria. He's preaching. People are accepting Christ. They're baptizing them. The apostles Peter and John have come and said, yeah, this is incredible. This is amazing. And the angel says, I want you to go where nobody lives. The desert road in Gaza. God's leading and prompting might not always make sense to us. Remember Moses and the children of Israel? How Moses led them out of Egypt to, and he led them to the shores of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army pursuing them. And the people said, Moses, what have you done? Where have you led us? This doesn't make any sense at all. We're all going to die. But when the Lord leads us to places and people when it doesn't seem to make sense, it is so that we will give him our total trust and so we can see him do what only he can do. And when we trust him and we put everything in his hands and he makes it happen, he gets the glory for it. Well, then the Spirit told him when he got there, he got, there he is in the desert, looks around, and there's nothing. You know, Maybe some cactus and some tumbleweeds, some horny toads crawling around. I don't know. And he looks around and says, okay, God, now what? Look down the road. The Spirit of God says, look, look down the road. And he could see some dust, and he could see that there was somebody coming down the road, and it was a chariot. And the Spirit said, you go and meet up with that guy on the chariot. And in the chariot was a total stranger. An obviously important man, there's an entourage, I'm sure, with him because of his high place, a man of another culture, a man of another color. There was nothing about this situation for Philip that was normal. This was the most abnormal thing he's ever done. But God, please get this, write this somewhere down in your notes, God never calls you or me, Christian, to be normal. Would you look at the person beside you and says, and that includes you, you're not normal. You don't even have to tell them. You can see it by looking at them, can't you? 
God never calls us to be normal in this world. And if you're following Christ, you are not what the world calls normal. Our problems in life, Christians, here's, here, let me just give you the nuts and bolts. Our problems in life as Christians happen when we try to be normal and we try to look and act like the world. Because that's not who we are. Just be yourself. Wasn't that normal? No. Be the one, the person that Jesus has entered and changed. Another thing that I want you to grasp from this story is that God knows who is seeking him. God's aware of people all around this world seeking him. The Ethiopian was seeking to know God. He had made this long trip from Africa to Jerusalem to worship. Somehow in Africa, he had heard of the God of the Jews, and in his heart, he knew there was something to their God, and he wanted to discover more, and so he made this trip. He knew it was not the pagan gods of his own culture. He wanted to know that God, and he wanted to worship him. And the best thing he knew to go, do was to go to Jerusalem, where Jehovah's temple was located. And while he was there, he somehow came across a scroll containing the writings of the Old Testament Jewish prophet Isaiah. It's the same book of prophecy of Isaiah that you have in your Bible. Isaiah wrote a lot about the coming Messiah, calling him the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he gave great details of Jesus' life and ministry hundreds of years before Jesus ever was born in Bethlehem. He gave details about Jesus' death and about Jesus' coming kingdom. And the Ethiopian man is riding in his chariot all of Isaiah's prophecy. And he knew very little about the scriptures. And apparently he knew nothing about Jesus who had come and proclaimed to be the Messiah and was accepted as Messiah, was Messiah. And so he's reading this scroll and he is baffled by what he read. Now, many of you, our, our connection groups are reading through the New Testament and some of us are discovering we're coming up with passages of scripture in the New Testament and we say like the Ethiopian man, if somebody would just explain this to me. We're baffled by some things and that's okay. If we could figure everything in the Bible out, we wouldn't need it. Right? We, we could just say, I, I, got it, I got it all down, God. I'm good. Don't have to read it. He's baffled by what he reads. Yet, yet he wanted to know, what does this mean? So God saw that Philip was there to answer his questions. And in the middle of the desert, not knowing why he was there, Philip, he gets to sit down with this man he asks him, please explain this to me, and Philip opens up the story of Jesus to the seeker. Look with me at verse 29. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian said, how can I, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he read, he was reading, was this. And this comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. This is a messianic prophecy about Jesus coming to be Messiah, King of Kings. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb that is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In, talking about the crucifixion, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. Jot this down in your notes. God places Jesus' followers in contact with seekers every day. Every day. God knows who the seekers are, and he places us in contact with them every day. I want you to remember this, Christian. You are not here by accident. You're not on this earth by accident. Even though your parents might have gone when the doctor said you're pregnant, they might have said, surprise, surprise, surprise. You are not here by accident. God has a reason for you being here. You're not here in this room today by accident. God's got a a reason. He's got a purpose for you being here. You've been Christian commissioned by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples. And so if that's his purpose for you to make disciples in this world, then that would mean that he's put you around people who need to know him who want to know him, and they're there every day. No one, this this thought just kind of captivates my mind. No one comes into your life by accident. No one. Everybody that comes into my life is there because it's a part of God's plan for me, for me to reach people. No one comes into my life by accident, and that's why we should treat everyone with respect and kindness. That's why we live like Jesus. We never know that someone he has brought near to us or has taken us to is seeking the answers that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so we, like Philip, need to be ready. We need to be sensitive and prepared to share the gospel. Now, most likely, you will not ever be sitting in a chariot sharing the gospel to an African treasurer like Philip was. If that ever happens to you, please write and tell me. But there may be someone in your life that you meet, that you come up with, that you're around who is going through a crisis of some kind in his or her life. They may have a big career decision to make. They might be young parents looking for wisdom and support, and God brings you to them and them to you so that you can point them to Jesus. This passage, this story also tells us the next point is that where there are seekers, God will send witnesses. I have that great confidence in God. Common question. I was asked this recently by one of our connection groups. Got an email. Rick, what about those people in this world who've never heard of Christ? You know, God knew that there would be tribal groups in Malaysia. There are all kinds of little islands there and tribal groups really living in primitive conditions, some of them speaking languages that no one else in the world speaks but them. God knew that there would be tribal groups in Malaysia who want to know him. So you know what God does? He sends missionaries like Stan and Sandy Annaby, our missionaries with Wycliffe Bible translators. And he says, I want you to go there. Learn their language. Learn how to speak it, Stan. Learn how to write it down. Teach it to them so they can know me. He knew there would be seekers among university students and professors, so he sends people like our own John and Cindy Peterson there. 
Our missionaries go to places where people who may have never heard the name of Jesus, but they know there's a God. And they want, to, they want to know him. He sends those missionaries to those places where those people live so they can hear how much God loves them. And that he sent his one and only son to bear their sin and to rise from the dead so they too can be in heaven, forgiven of their sins against the God. He sends missionaries. God will send witnesses. At Nagshead Church, our connection groups are reading together through the New Testament. I would invite you, I've given you the notation to, about that point I just made about people that have never heard. Go back and look up that passage in Romans sometime. Not right now, but Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Pick up with me in verse 35. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer. But he, the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus and was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. In your notes, being a disciple means learning to follow Jesus. So Philip tells him, answers his question from the book of Isaiah about who this is as a lamb before its shears is silent who is he talking about? And Philip tells him about Christ and tells him about the crucifixion, tells him about the risen Son of God, tells him about all the people who have been believing, been believing in Jesus and how they, how they made that belief public through water baptism. And, and they, they're riding down the road and something amazing happens. Listen, being a disciple means to follow Jesus. Philip showed he was a disciple by going to the desert and by sharing the story of Jesus with a total stranger. How did Philip show he was following Jesus? Go down there and he went. Who is this talking about? And he explained. That's how Philip showed he was a disciple. The Ethiopian showed now he is a disciple by wanting to follow his belief with baptism. Along this road, there must have been an oasis which likely included some shady trees growing up around a freshwater pond that was likely fed by a spring. It was the place to stop and water the animals they rode, which pulled the chariot and so forth. It was the place where they refilled their own water bottles. But the Ethiopian didn't see it as only a place to get something to drink. He looked and said, here's water. I want to be baptized. It's a chance, his first step, to obey, to obey Jesus. Now, your Bible, if you have the NIV and a lot, of, a lot of translations, your Bible may not have verse 37. You might say, man, my Bible skips from 36 to 38. What's that about? The reason that they, that may be is that the earliest manuscripts of Acts do not have verse 37. And so what we believe 
We believe that the words that are given to Philip here might have been spoken to him because they were an early church practice during baptisms. They would baptize folks that came and say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be baptized. And they would say, do you believe in him? When I performed baptisms, I did one last Sunday here. When I performed baptisms, I have some things that I ask and I say. First, I ask the one being baptized, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? I ask them that in front of everyone. And then I use the formula given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as I put them down under the water, I use Paul's words from Romans 6, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. And the Christian church has been using these words as we baptize for 2,000 years. So likely Philip did say something, ask something like this of the man, okay, here's water. Uh, do you believe in Jesus with all your heart? And why did Philip ask that, by the way? Because probably that's what he was asked when he was baptized in Jerusalem. He's probably heard this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times as new followers of Christ, new believers are being baptized. Without personal faith, why ask the question? And it's very simple. Without personal faith in Jesus as Savior, baptism is just an empty ritual. Just a ritual that, you know. Personal faith is key to everyone. That's why we don't baptize young children before they're able to understand the gospel and they have their own faith. Personal. My parents' faith, your parents' faith, I hear people say, you know, I meet them and uh, ask them a question, do you go to church anywhere? Well, no, but my uncle is a Baptist deacon. Well, that probably means you're going to hell right there. I don't know. But (laughs) (laughs) you can't pin your hopes of eternal life in someone else's faith, not your mama's, not your daddy's, not your grandparents'. Can't do it. It's got to be your own faith. And that's why we ask. My parents' faith cannot save me. If someone's baptized without a personal experience of salvation by faith, their baptism is a religious ritual and not a step of obedience and discipleship. The Ethiopian said, and I love in my Bible, it's got one of those, those exclamation points at the end of his, his thing. Look, here's water. All right. He was excited. To think, man, maybe I can be baptized too. What would keep me from being baptized? Are you sure, by the way, are you sure that you have received Jesus as your Savior by faith? But maybe you're here today and you've never followed that faith with baptism. What keeps some believers from not taking that step of being a disciple? Let me, let me give you some things I've heard. Why, why, how, I'm, well, one might be I didn't know. No one's ever explained the importance of baptism to you. Nobody's ever sat down and said, here's what the Bible teaches. And that's very, very typical, especially for some, like I was raised in churches where baptism is a passage of childhood or even for me, infancy. And it was a long time down the road before somebody explained, no, 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 baptism doesn't come before your faith. Baptism comes after you believe. Nobody's ever told me that. 
Some people just, I don't know, didn't know. Another reason that I've run into is personal pride. Some might say, well, you know, I'm an adult. I've been a believer as long as I can remember. Since I've been a child, I've been a believer in Jesus. And I don't see the need to be baptized, meaning this. Let me translate that for you. I don't want to submit myself to Jesus as my authority. Not going to do it. One woman told me she didn't want people to see her soaking wet on my hair, you know. What will people think? Personal pride. If pride is what prevents you from following Christ in baptism, may I this morning invite you to a dose of humility and be humble as he was humble, Jesus, and submit to him as your Lord Gladys Beedling, is Gladys here in this gathering? I can't, she's usually sitting right over here, I don't see her. Gladys is our oldest, the oldest partner in our church. Gladys is 91, I believe. And Gladys did not get baptized until she was, she must have been close to 80 when we baptized Gladys, at least in her late 70s. And she had been a believer since she was a teenager. And all those years, she didn't know. Then there's some people have told me this. I'm afraid of water. I just, I can't go into water. I'm afraid. You know what? I, I, in my 40 plus years of being a Christian, I guess I have seen hundreds and hundreds of baptisms and never have I seen anybody drown. I've never seen anybody drown. I've never seen anybody think they were drowning. So the Bible tells us, by the way, Paul told Timothy, God's not given us a spirit of fear. If God wants you to be baptized, he's going to calm your fears if you're afraid of water. If you're afraid, then that fear didn't come from God. So throw that excuse out the window. Then there are other people, God bless them, but who say, no, yeah, I want to be baptized, but I want to be baptized in the ocean, or I want to be baptized in the sound. Or no, I don't want to be baptized in the ocean or in the sound. Can I just be blunt? If that's your excuse, you've missed the point. That's pretty selfish of you if that's your reason for not being, ah, no, I'm not here, I want to be baptized in the ocean. And it's a little bit cold here in late October, so I'll wait until July. You missed the point. It's not about where, it's about getting wet. It's not about where, it's about when. It's about choosing Jesus as my Lord and surrendering to his will, not mine. And every believer in this New Testament that we see who trusts Christ, then soon after, most immediately, follow that belief with baptism at the very first chance, just like this man. Look, man, here's water. Let's do it. We learn early on that the Christian life is not about what I want, but about what God wants for me. And you imagine this scene with me as this high-ranking cabinet member of a very powerful nation with all his entourage of bodyguards and assistants 
watching. This man who they protect, this man who they probably respect, this man who cares about them, but they see a transformation has taken place in this man's life, and they see him get down from his chariot, remove his cloak, and with his hitchhiker wades out into the water, and Philip submerges him. Can you imagine what's going, what in the world is this going on here? His ignorance was gone. Now he knows about whom Isaiah wrote. Jesus is Messiah. He died for me. I believe in him. Now I want to follow him. There was no pride. Well, you know, this is an, that water is probably kind of dirty. There may be some amoeba in that water. Get into my brain. Can we find some clean water somewhere? It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament. Remember the general who wouldn't want to dip in the Jordan River because it was dirty? There was no pride here. There was no fear. The water's here, he said. Let's do this. There are some, perhaps someone, there's someone here today, perhaps, who you at some point in your life, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, but for whatever reason, you have never followed him in believer's baptism. And perhaps this story that God has included in his word has moved you in your heart. The Holy Spirit's taken his word and the Holy Spirit's in that still small voice is saying to you, this is what you need to do. You need to take this step. I don't know if there's anybody like that or not, but if that's you, here's what I'd like you to do in the next few moments. We're gonna sing again in just a moment. I'd like for you to take out one of those communication cards, put your name and info in the front, and on the back, just flip it over, and it just very simply says on the back, I want to be baptized. Then when we're done here, in about five minutes, I'm gonna stand down here, and I want you to come up with that card and talk to me for a moment. And we'll make plans for you to be baptized, whether we do that today or next Sunday. We've got water in this thing. I'd love to see it get stirred up. Would you pray with me? I thank you, Heavenly Father, for Philip, first of all. Just an ordinary guy in the church. Not an apostle, not a theologian. Just a man whose heart was consumed with love for you. He was used by you powerfully in Samaria, and now you're using him in a desert place just to reach one seeker. And we don't know, Lord, but I'm going I'm to just make a, a, a holy assumption here that this man, this Ethiopian, not only did he share the gospel with those with him on his trip, but when he got back, he began to share it with his friends, with his co-workers. Thank you for both of these men, for their openness to you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that's ours so many times, every year, over and over, we see believers say, Jesus, I want to follow you.
And they make that profession public by going underwater in baptism. What a great, great illustration of your gospel. So we thank you today. If there's someone here this morning, God, that needs to take this step, I pray that this will be the day when they, when they make that decision, when they cross over that line, when they say, gosh, here is water. What keeps me from being baptized? And I pray that whatever the reasons, the excuses might be, that you'd wipe them away. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Dot org.